Welcome. You are listening to Central Synagogue's podcast, featuring sermons, lectures, and conversations from Manhattan's historic Central Synagogue. I'm Rabbi Angela Bookdahl. We hope you will engage with the wisdom of our tradition and our take on current events, as interpreted by the clergy, teachers, and guest lecturers of Central Synagogue. You can also access our weekly sermons by subscribing to this podcast on the platform of your choice. If you'd like to learn more about our congregation or watch our live stream services, I invite you to visit us at centralsynagogue.org. We hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm so excited and honored that we have the opportunity not just to view this really amazing documentary of Dr. Ruth, or the majority of it, um, but to be in the presence of really a living legend, uh, Dr. Ruth Westheimer, who is not only um, uh, a pioneer in the work that she did as a sex therapist and speaker, um, and you'll learn more about this as well if you didn't know already, like live through it, um, but really her story is the story of the greatest resiliency, hope, and courage of the Jewish people, embodied in like a four foot 10 package. Uh, and I just, I would say that um, for me personally, just a few words, I, I um, came of age as an adolescent just as Dr. Ruth became famous. So it was really good timing for me that Dr. Ruth came onto the scene and started talking about things just as I needed someone who was helping me make sense of this. I had, you know, a Korean immigrant mother. That's, a, that's all I have to say about how much we talked about sex in my house. Um, and so it was really important. And I will say that she really, you know, was a peaking influence when I was in college. And we had this privilege um, that, my, that we used to have these special things called master teas, where the master could invite some really important person to come and you could, like 40 of us could be in a living room and listen to the master talk, the master guest talk. So Dr. Ruth did a master's tea my sophomore year in college, and I remember I went, and I'll never forget, it was the first time I met her in person, and she, we were like all kind of like seated around, she was on one of these like really big fluffy armchairs, and Dr. Ruth, she just sort of held forth, and, I, and it was 30 years ago, but I remember the main message to this group of college students who were complaining about the fact that none of us were really in having any real relationships. Her message was, you must masturbate more. That was, that, was, that was the main message. I took it to heart. Okay, so, so to speak. Anyway, she had a major influence on all of our lives. Uh, fast forward, and Dr. Ruth, um, several years ago, magically appeared at Central Synagogue Services. And it was, I was like, oh my God, is that the Dr. Ruth? And she was in our services. And you've become uh, a somewhat regular fixture, even though you live all the way in Washington Heights. Um, and so every once in a while, you come once a month, and Dr. Ruth will be at services. And it's been an incredible honor that Central Synagogue is one of your many Jewish homes. And, um, and so when this documentary came out. We said, we, we should do this. I asked Dr. Ruth if she'd be willing to come. She said, absolutely. Thrilled that we have 300 people here tonight. And um, so we're going to show the vast majority, which tells us so much more of her story. Then I'll, I'll ask a few questions that I have prepared. We'll open it up for some questions from the community. And then we'll have a little reception upstairs. And 
and Dr. Ruth has, has some special things promised in store for us. So um, to that, I will take us to Ask Dr. Ruth. Boy, look at that, despite the weather, look at I that. I know, an amazing, amazing that's, crowd. Angela, I feel like this will be one of those historic moments. We all remember being, we will remember that we were here for this moment. Um, I watched the movie for the first time on my way back from Israel in January on the plane. And uh, I remember that I was, you know, crying on the plane. And, uh, and then watching it with actually a lot of other people, it's just so enjoyable for the communal experience of watching this with you and with sitting next to you. Um, what an incredible honor and privilege it is. Um, I, I want to start by just asking, what did it feel like for you? I know you've seen this movie many times, but what's it like to, for you to sit and watch it and to see the span of your life and the epic saga of your story? So, the, it, it, you know, on the big screen with everyone. The first thing I want to tell you, Angela, that every time I see it, and tonight, no difference, I also know what I didn't talk about. <laughs> so there could be two more movies like uh -huh. that. Um, I did, when, when the Rafi Marmor called me, a producer from California, and said he wants to do a documentary, I said, no, thank you. I had just done a BBC program, and I said, enough already, I'm so busy uh, teaching and uh, doing therapy, enough already. He then sent me a movie uh, that he had made called No Place on Earth. When I saw that title, No Place on Earth, I watched the movie. It was about uh, Jews hiding in Ukraine mm. um, and the local population supporting them for a year and a half, and they survived. So I said to Rafi, okay, let's, let's uh, mm. come, come to New York. Then he said he wants to work with Ryan White. I said, get me Ryan White's movies. Uh, Ryan is a movie maker who just did, who did Proposition 8 mm. about California, about yeah. the law. And he had just done a series on Netflix about a nun, a beautiful nun, being killed 40 years ago because she would have reported about some unhappy mm. uh, happenings with a priest the next day, and they still haven't found who killed her. Oh. So I said, anybody who does a cliffhanger like that, uh, I said, come to New York, I want to meet you. Now, very interesting for us and in your congregation, uh, Ryan, not Jewish. Uh, this, this is actually, when I look at the film again and again, very fortunate because I had taped many more Jewish things, like somebody singing Tzadik Atoma, some uh, uh, musical things, some of the uh, many more Jewish aspects. It would have been much more of a Jewish film. This way, because of his background, and being a brilliant uh, filmmaker, it has become uh, much more universal. Mm. And I'm very happy because it's all over Europe, it's all over the world, it's on the airplane. Uh, I couldn't believe that they would have a film with orgasm on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> Your so, influence is uh, everywhere. <laughs> so, um, as it turned out, very interesting, is Annette here? Annette Instorff. Not yet, okay. Annette Instorff is the uh, 
is a professor at Columbia University of uh, filmmaking, and she made a very important uh, comment. Uh, the film was nominated by audience mm. nominations. It did not uh, nominate for an academy. And uh, very interesting because Annette made the observation that this year of interest to anybody in your uh, congregation, uh, much more uh, films of diversity, films of social issues, mm. films, for example, about China, one child nation, uh, were nominated. Mm. So that's, that's okay with me. I, uh, I, I love to see the film. And whenever I get an opportunity, and I think that your people, you, uh, did a beautiful film, you cut out like half an hour, um, so that people can get some dinner. Well, and mostly so we can hear you talk. <laughs> but, but I recommend you can watch the whole film. It's uh, it's ninety minutes, mm -hmm. and we made it. We we did edit it to an hour for for tonight. Yeah. The only other thing I want to put also on the table, uh, Ryan and I, where he does not know that. So I want you to know, Ryan and I during the filming, which took about a year and a half. I took them to Israel, as you saw, where you visited Yad Vashem. And I took them to Switzerland. And Ryan and I were not friends during the filming. I was on my toes because I knew that anything that I open my mouth is going to be in the film. <laughs> the moment after my 90th birthday at the Museum of Jewish Heritage, the moment after he went home with me, he put the camera down. Now we are close friends. Ah. I was not friends. And, uh, but I am very pleased with the film mm. because I think that it makes sense on many, many levels. And what my children have been saying is true. Anybody here, German Jew? Any Yekes? Mm. True. We don't cry in public. Does not mean <laughs> that we don't cry. But we... There is a different cultural aspect in terms of not crying in public. See her nodding her head? So um, I, I'm, I'm very pleased when, when I see it. Especially I come to your congregation very often, as, uh, as much as I can. Even so, I belong to two others. <laughs> a reform in Washington Heights and a conservative in Riverdale. And Angela knows that. But... Um, I'm, I'm delighted. Look at the bad weather and look at this audience of yours. I am struck by what moved you was the title of the other film of No Place on Earth because both times I've seen the film, when you say, if I'd been kicked out of that orphanage, there was no place on earth for me to go. I, that line just kind of stuck with me. And I think about both it being a very Jewish story, but also a universal story when you think about the number, of the millions of refugees in the world that feel there is no place for them to go. I think it's powerful for anyone who watches. I want to say something about that. Anybody who I knew you would. Go ahead. <laughs> Angela, anybody like me who talks about sex and orgasm from morning till night has to stay away from politics. That does not mean that I don't vote. Since I became an American citizen, I vote. These days, I've changed my mind. There are three issues that I do talk about. And one has to do that I'm upset when I see children being separated from their parents at the border. 
because that's certainly my story. And two other things that there's in this rich country of yours, of mine, that there's not enough money for family planning is upsetting to me. And the issue that uh, abortion has become again a political football. So there are three things that I could talk about. Now you. Thank you for using your voice for that. No, this is, this is about you. Um, I know you wanted actually, you were worried about the animation in the film. Oh, yes. At first, you thought that was not going to work. I found it very moving. But I, how did you feel about it, watching it? And why did you finally agree to it? Angela, I was so worried because I didn't have enough data, enough material about my childhood. So they said they will use animation. Angela, I thought they're going to make me look like Mickey Mouse. <laughs> or they're going to make me look like Pinocchio. And now look what's happening. The animation is done by an Israeli who lives in Los Angeles. And as we speak, my film is already making babies. Because the animation is taken by the Shoah Foundation, Steven Spielberg. And they are going to make a film to go with the book that you have, Rollercoaster Grammar. And so I will have a book and an animated film. Children like to see other children in a film. So we'll have by April the book going to all the schools, Canada and the United States. So my film is making babies. I imagine you're responsible for lots and lots of babies in one form or another. Speaking of which, I, one of my favorite lines is when someone asks you about why you keep writing books at 89, you say, that's a stupid question. And I think you've written, how many books have you written? About 40. However, okay. wait, I talk my books. I have Pierre or right now, Heavenly Sex, Sexuality in the Jewish Tradition with Jonathan Mark from the Jewish Week, just has become a classic will never be out of print. And my, I do my books by my talking, and other people write. Pierre writes a lot of those. But very, very interesting, because I'm not somebody who wants to sit home. And, and I'm not computer literate. So for me, it's good to talk and let somebody else uh, write. Now, to Ryan's credit, when I said to him, this big, very famous filmmaker, I said, you all heard it. I said, what a stupid question. He could have taken that out. He did not. Yeah. He said, I, I asked him later. I said, how come you let that in that I call you the big <laughs> filmmaker? <a> stupid. <laughs> he said, I don't have an ego on that. So to his credit, I have to say, we are now good friends. One day I'll bring him here to your synagogue. And... Um, uh, but but now he doesn't have that camera in his hands following me all the time. And it was a stupid question. Because after all, right now, at the age of almost 92, I'm teaching a course at Columbia. I have 28 students at Teachers College. And I'm teaching a course at Hunter. I'm, a, I'm one of two other professors. We're teaching a course on the history of sex education. And the course at Columbia Teachers College is the changing image of the family in the media. Mm. So that's uh, every spring. 
So that's what I did last night. And tomorrow morning, I'm doing my course with the two professors at Hunter. So there is no question that I'm grateful that I can still talk so much so that books will be written. That's, you keep talking, and we'll we'll keep we'll keep reading them. One of your books, actually, of your many, she has like graphic novels for teens on the Holocaust. She's written children's books. She's written books on sex. She's written books on um, Judaism, Holocaust, everything. One of them is called Musically Speaking, and it's your love for music, which as a as a cantor as well, I can't help but love. But in the film, you also talk about the fact that on the Kinder transport, when you felt terribly sad your first impulse was to sing Thank and you. to lead others in singing. And, and you, um, you now are going to play for me a song. Okay. Now. All right, so go on, <laughs> on demand. Maybe we'll get everyone to sing. But I, I was thinking, I was going to ask, what was the role of music in your own sort of resiliency and, and, and what, what role did it play, if you want to say a word, and then maybe a couple of your favorite songs from childhood, or if you remember a song you sang on the Kinder Transport. Yes. Now, first of all, on the, I do remember the songs of the synagogue, you heard that I come from an Orthodox Jewish background. So I do remember uh, Tzadik Katoma. And um, I do remember the children's songs. For example, there is a song, it's even translated into uh, Hebrew, Yonatan HaKatan. Little Hänschen Klein, ging line, which is very moving because it talks about a little boy who went into the world, but the mother was unhappy and cried, so he came back. Very important for us to sing that, even so, in our case, all of the children who were in the children's home that became an orphanage, none of them, none of, none of the parents came back. But we sing that in terms of holding on to the tradition and to the love that we had as children. Mm. When people ask me, how come People like me, I did a longitudinal study for my masters, following all of the children who left Frankfurt with me, went to Switzerland, became orphans, and then went on mostly to um, either United States or Israel. So very interesting, the longitudinal study, what I found, and I found them all because we were in touch, very interesting, none of them committed suicide. None of them became clinically depressed. None of them became really not functioning. Nobody else became Dr. Ruth, that's true. <laughs> but it's very interesting because I can prove to you that the early years of a child, the early childhood experience, were so important. I was 10 and a half. So I had all of that love and caring of being an only child with a grandmother in Frankfurt who had nothing else to do but take care of me, with two parents and another set of grandparents on a farm. So I always make that point that in terms of educating and in terms of what you all do in terms of family life and, and, and bar mitzvah and all of the things that you're doing, crucial, because this is what left people like myself be able to survive. Mm. Now, nobody else became a sex therapist, that's okay. <laughs> that, I, I, I glowed about that, I'm, I'm happy that I had that opportunity. But on a deeper level, it has something to do 
with having been 10 and a half years in a loving, in my particular case, orthodox Jewish background that, uh, that helped me uh, survive. You talk a little bit about this in the in the movie, but what do you think about your background led you to be a sex therapist? Uh, what in your Jewish background, perhaps you talked a little bit about the idea of lada'at to know is what the word we use for for sex as as well. Do you know, like in the biblical sense, uh, this person? Um, but also just in terms of just resiliency, seeking love, and and, and also the incredible open mindedness that you have. So because in the Jewish tradition. Yes, I'm teaching the rabbi. Please. <laughs> In the Jewish I know definitely tradition, less about sex. Sex no. has never been a sin. In the Jewish tradition, sex has an op is an obligation of a husband with his wife. Yeah. Friday night. There's not much other things you can do after you come here. <laughs> you eat and you go and have sex. It's a double mitzvah on Shabbat. <laughs> so, in terms, I never had to fight this idea which some other religion have yeah. of sex being a problem, a sin. Yeah. True with a husband, true to remain loyal, all of those things that all of you know about. But in the, that it helped a great deal mm. that I am so uh, steeped in the Jewish tradition. And then that issue of Ladaat, to know is very crucial because in terms, I'm in the latest book, Sex for Dummies, fourth edition, <laughs> <laughs> I talk about loneliness. I talk about, there's a chapter, not only young people, but people across the board, widows, widows. There is a tremendous amount of loneliness these days, and we have to talk about that, and you do that in your seminars at the synagogue. And look, what you are doing is something that I cannot explain. You have a thousand people on Friday nights, even if it snows. <laughs> so, <laughs> amazing. But very important, this kind of saying, we have to take some time out and to relate to each other. And maybe to find a partner, or if not a partner, so at least to find some someone to communicate in your services Friday night, you take time out for people to wish, with, uh, to wish each other Shabbat shalom. Uh, Shabbat shalom. There is one fellow in your congregation, I forgot his name, who always has a candy for me. Is he here? <laughs> here he is. <laughs> Give me that candy. Come here. Jerry, that's so nice. He has a cough candy. <laughs> Come here. Everybody applaud him. <laughs> Friday nights. Friday nights, I look for him because he has a candy for me. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Jerry, thank you very much. To Daraba. Oh, 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 oh. Thank you. Thank you. Ah, did you see it? <laughs> Fantastic. I'll share one with you. Oh, thank you. So, in terms of what worries me, is that the art of conversation, that's why it's important what you do. You make time for people to talk to each other. And uh, everybody would have told you, you can't make them shut up afterwards. Not true. <laughs> Not true. They do. When you continue, they do. And uh, very important because 
there's a warning I would like to sound that the art of conversation is getting lost. And for young kids, young people, yes. they're going to develop a physical ailment. Any doctor here? Mm. Uh, where's Jerry Cohn? Yeah. Jerry, where are you? Come here, come here. I want another kiss, come here. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, doctors do tell us that young people are going to develop a physical ailment because they're looking constantly on the phone. And I want a kiss, come here. <laughs> 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 and and uh, so very important to talk. Where is it? Give, give Angela a kiss too. Okay. <laughs> okay. He keeps me in good shape. Look at me. 91 and a half. Almost 92 because of him. This is Dr. Ruth's doctor. So we're very grateful for the work you do. So very, very important that we talk about that issue of loneliness, of communicating with each other, and that the issue, you see people crossing the street looking at their phone instead of looking at, so at the ground. This, is, this is actually was a sermon that I gave this High Holidays about loneliness and how hard it is and the epidemic levels that people feel this. And I think you're right, the art of conversation is lost. One of the things that we made a commitment to at Central is that we were going to deepen our sense of relationship with each other. And one of the things we talked about was that at every program we ever do at Central, we don't want someone to walk in and walk out not having met at least one person. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna actually do that right here. You, I didn't even plant this with Dr. Ruth, but it's perfect, which is that we were going to ask that you would um, Take a moment and meet someone next to you, but we're gonna we're gonna present this question because if if you kind of had your burning question of what you wanted to ask Dr. Ruth, whether it was about how she survived the kind of traumas that she had in her life, if you wanted to ask her about um, uh, any sex question you wanted to ask, you know, like it's you, you say a it. friend of mine has a question. Right, that's the way to do it. <laughs> I have a friend who is wondering, uh, you know, but if you if you know depending on how much you want to reveal, we're not forcing anything, but maybe not, not to, um, and we're gonna give you two minutes, mm -hmm. and we'd like you to turn to someone that you didn't necessarily come with, mm -hmm. um, share your name, and then, and, and you could also reflect on something from, from this movie or from Dr. Ruth's life that is reflective, and then we're gonna come back in three minutes because Dr. Ruth promised me that you're gonna stop talking when it's time, and, and we'd like to take questions from you. So mm -hmm. it might be that it generates that, but at the very least, we're gonna practice the art of a little conversation. Do you wanna give any guidance on something that makes for a good conversation? Yeah, no, you, you find yourself because you okay. belong to a congregation that is capable of finding your Wait. own. Wait, but don't forget that you promised to play. To sing. Okay, that's how I'm going to get you all back. I'm going to promise to sing the song she wanted me to sing <laughs> after you have three minutes to, to meet someone. If you have to step up for a minute to, to not just talk to the person next to you, we'll give you three minutes to meet, say each other's name, and discuss. <laughs> so I'm going to bring you back together. Uh... I'm going to bring you back together by doing something that uh, I could always dream of, which is to serenade Dr. Ruth, to serenade her with a song from her childhood. This is a song by Louis Lewandowski, who was a German-Jewish composer. He wrote um, 
melodies that we know, actually, that we still sing, even though he was from the 19th century. And uh, this is one that we actually sing in services, and it's particularly perfect, because she said it's one of her favorite songs, but it happens to be Sadiq Katamar, which is about the um, palm that is flourishing like uh, a righteous person. And it happens to be that this week is Tu Bishvat, which is the holiday of the trees. It's a song about trees. It's, it's all perfect, so we'll sing it. And those of you who know it, please sing it along. All right, so thank you. We can sing it again for you on Friday if you come. We will take a few questions before we end and then invite everyone up for a reception and Dr. Ruth will be up there and greeting people. But we have a question that emerged from, the, from this that anyone would like to ask. Uh, thank you very much. We, we really have been uh, Ruth, Dr. Ruth fans for, I don't want to say decades, but uh, for decades. <laughs> but my, my question is related to the alteration that I see between the sexes. And that alteration, in my opinion, is going to develop into a situation in which it becomes impossible for men and women to become friends even in the workplace, which is the usual location where, where relationships start. How is it possible? for a man to say something to a woman today without risking a situation in which there's going to be a conflict or perhaps there'll be a conflict. What is your, what, and to this, in my opinion, will result in an even further decline in the birth rate. <laughs> Could you hear that or not? Okay, I'm gonna give you that. Uh, very, very important. We would need an entire seminar we can to talk about uh, because I'm old-fashioned and a square and I'm very worried about what's happening these days in terms of a man not being able to say to a woman you're wearing a nice dress without getting into some trouble and I am old-fashioned and a square and I do believe that nobody has any business in bed naked if they haven't decided to have sex. This idea to ask, can I now touch your left breast or your right breast is not going to work. So, and- They have the, an app for it now. In the Jewish the tradition- consent app. In the Jewish tradition, it says that when that part of the male anatomy is aroused, the sechel, the brain, flies out of the head. In American, it says, God didn't give men enough blood for two heads. <laughs> so, I'm not talking about rape. That's a different story. Anybody who has had an unfortunate experience has to go to see a therapist, not to wait, has to see a social worker, has to see somebody who is an expert 
to discuss that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about all of the other issues. And if Angela arranges it, and if you do it with me together, we are going to have an evening talking specifically about this whole issue of um, can you tell a woman you look lovely today? Okay? Wow. Amazing answer. Thank you, Dr. Lee. Uh, Please excuse me for not standing. It's very difficult. I'm almost your age. <laughs> but I'd like to ask the question, if I'm not mistaken, you were on the boat to St. Louis. Am I correct? No. I apologize. No. I was on Liberty, uh, and uh, that came. I came legally as a tourist. I came just to visit an uncle. My whole family was lost. An uncle went from Germany to Shanghai and then to San Francisco. I thought if I go back to Israel, never will I have money to come to the United States. So when I got that check that all of us children did get who couldn't finish uh, school, I said to the then lover, who was not, not the real husband at the end, the 30-year uh, long marriage, I said, we're going to the United States to visit that uncle. And um, I was on a ship called Liberty. What is true, fourth class, they told us not to go upstairs. You can't tell me not to go upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but I did, I have to tell you something else. What has happened to me in terms of the radio? could have only, and my training, could only have happened in New York. Ruth Bader Ginsburg says, what happened to her could only happen in the United States. What has happened to me could only have started in New York City. Because New York City, people are generous with people with accents. And when I got on the radio, people knew that that was me. Because, uh, Deborah Jo Rapp, who played me in a theater version of Dr. Ruth, she had to, when, they, when I wanted to do radio, they said, you have to take speech lessons. Mm. I was a single mother. I had no money for speech lessons. Deborah Jo Rapp, to play me, had to take speech lessons <laughs> to learn my accent. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but, but very important that what has happened could only have happened in New York. One, one, one more question. More question. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Ruth, I've seen, I've seen your, this movie for the third time today. And uh, I'm sorry that the part that you were in Israel was cut off because there were two wonderful, you had two great husbands, and all three of them were great looking guys. <laughs> and there are so many single women that cannot even get one guy. And I wanted to know. <laughs> What is your, is your secret taking risks? Because you are a very great risk taker. I, I just want to mention also that, that um, I had to do, I did a funeral for a congregant who had a, a, a wife for, for 60 years in a very happy marriage. And last October, he asked me, to do his second marriage. He's 92. So I just did, I did it. So it's ne never too late. I, it was quite beautiful. So one thing that was not in this version is that I was in the Haganah, that I was a sniper, 
in the Israel. I, I thought I would live my life in Israel, that I was badly wounded. Uh, that's not why I'm short. I would have been short anyway. <laughs> but I was badly wounded on both legs. And the Hadassah Hospital at the time was in the city. And there was a very good-looking male nurse. I made believe that I couldn't feed myself. Nonsense. My feet were hurt, but not my hands. And I had a nice love affair. Now we go and have lunch. Not lunch. Now we have a reception. Okay. So we will be going upstairs. I want to mention, I think, as, as you heard, Dr. Ruth's, one of her books has become a classic, which is Immortality, meaning it will never go out of print. It will become in the same category as Moby Dick and all these other amazing things. That is quite a testament. Um, she is also getting her first... I was just going to say it, her first honorary doctorate from Ben-Gurion University in Israel. And in typical Dr. Ruth style, she wants to create a scholarship for students who will study psychology there. And so if you want to learn more about it, there's a flyer. And Dr. Ruth prompts that anyone who makes a donation will have good sex. So, um, yeah. And the flyers are upstairs. Please join us for a little reception and thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for listening to this edition of Central Synagogue's podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you're in the loop on future episodes. And please follow us on social media or watch our live stream at centralsynagogue.org, our Facebook page, or on national cable at the Jewish Broadcasting Service. Thanks again for joining us. Eloheinu